Welcome to the Collective Voice of Health IT, a Weedy podcast. Hello and welcome. Like the big movie voice just mentioned, this is the Collective Voice of Health IT, a Weedy podcast, and this is episode four. On this podcast, we talk with prominent healthcare thought leaders about key themes and topics in healthcare IT, both current and emerging. I'm your host, Matthew Albright. My day job is Chief Legislative Affairs Officer for Zealous Payments. Zealous is a healthcare and financial technology company located in beautiful Bedminster, New Jersey. I also serve as the Communication Committee Chair for Weedy. That's W-E-D-I, and Weedy is the producer of this podcast. I'd also like to introduce this podcast producer, Michael McNutt, Director of Education and Events for Weedy, and he's also the owner of that big movie voice at the beginning of the show. Michael, how are you doing today? I'm fantastic. How are you? I'm doing pretty good. Good. So Weedy is a national membership organization where the health information technology community connects, collaborates, and creates solutions for a better health system. And I'm excited to introduce our guest today, a friend of both Weedy's and myself from way back in her days at the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services, Mari Savickas. Mari Savickas has a long resume in healthcare IT policy, including working for CMS and ONC, and then the American Medical Association. And now she is vice president of public policy at CHIME. That's the College of Healthcare Information Management Executives, CHIME. Welcome, Mari, and thank you for joining us at the Collective Voice of Health IT, and I'm glad our paths have crossed again. Thank you so much, Matt. It's so nice to be here, and I really appreciate the invitation to talk today about some of these important issues around privacy and security. Good. Terrific. I'm looking forward to it, too. So to, to start off on this show so far, um, we like to start off and find out how healthcare IT thought leaders, such as yourself, have gotten uh, sucked into this industry. Uh, so far, we've had leaders that have started off as nuclear scientists. We had an eBay techie. And in our last episode, one of our guests was actually raised on healthcare policy, like from the womb. His like whole family was into it. It was at family barbecues. Uh, he was just immersed in it. So, Mari, what is your origin story? Did you uh, did you always want to head up public policy on healthcare IT? You know, I didn't. <laughs> I was the first alcohol. <laughs> you know, started college with a different major and decided um, shortly therein that I needed a course correction. I entered college on an art portfolio, but I took one class in political science and I was off to the races. And that's sort of been my, you know, it's been history after that. That's interesting. What were you, what, what, I'm sorry, what, what part of art, like, were you a painter, a drawer, sculptor, a performance dancer? Well, no, more um, like painting, drawing, sculpting. Uh, It it was, I pretty much took every class I could take uh, in high school and, uh, Put it, you know, put, went into college on an art portfolio, but it, I just decided shortly in that I didn't really want to make a career of it. It's more of a, a hobby and a passion. And so I took, you know, again, politics and government and ended up with a dual major in poli-sci and Spanish and have been working in um, largely the, you know, in this space since, you know, since I graduated from college and, um, and then also following getting my master's of public administration. So it's been a while. 
Terrific, terrific. Well, I'm glad you. Uh, I'm glad you went the healthcare route, so we're able to talk to you today. I, I think a lot of our listeners may have heard of Chime, your organization, but maybe you can give us the elevator speech on what your organization does. Sure what does thing, Chime Matt. do? So Chime, yeah. Sure. Chime is a membership organization, and our members are uh, the chief information, innovation, medical, nursing pretty much all the chiefs who purchase and deploy technology for healthcare providers across this country. We're also in more than 50 other countries um, across the world. Um, my focus in terms of advocacy is for the United States. And again, we have members in just about every single state and many of our members work in integrated delivery systems, but we also have members say in like post-acute care and long-term care settings, behavioral health, um, ambulatory practices, so on and so forth. Good. Very good. So clearly your organization uh, uh, is at the center of healthcare IT, and, and we appreciate your organization's partnership with Weedy. So, uh, Mari, I know that one of your passions is, is privacy and cybersecurity, and, and I, I do want to touch on both of those today, but let's start with privacy. Um, certainly one of the themes that has emerged from life in the time of COVID-19 is that uh, here in America and probably the world, right, we've moved much more into the mobile and virtual world, right? We see this with, with our everyday lives now. We're ordering our groceries and our restaurant takeouts through apps. Uh, my daughters are attending school remotely in a few weeks. Uh, I have a friend who, who just became a, a new CEO of a fairly large company, a thousand people. Um, he actually became a CEO about a month ago. And even though he's been running this company and pushing it forward, he has yet to meet any of his employees. So he's running the company completely, completely virtually. And, and certainly remote healthcare through telehealth and other remote diagnostic tools has gone virtual. So in this virtual world where we quickly accept, right, we press our little uh, OK buttons, all the small print terms and conditions, um, is privacy dead, right? Is all our information already out there? Has, does, you know, does every fast food restaurant in my neighborhood already know what I buy and sell and when I go see the doctor? Is there, is there, is there, is the horse already out of the barn, I guess I want to ask? You know, that's, that is such a difficult question to answer. I think a lot of people are in the camp that, yes, privacy is dead. And I would say that, yes, the horse is left the barn, but it's not too late necessarily to bring, some, bring the horse back. And so there's, a, there's, there's I would say, two schools of thought that both, there's folks who say, listen, privacy is dead. Everybody has my information. Get on with it. I'm not that worried. And then there's others who recognize that privacy or, or still feel that privacy is an American principle and that it should be safeguarded. And there's a balancing act that has to occur every single day. You know, many of us are using social media platforms. We're using internet search engines. Um, we're purchasing uh, things every single day with uh, maybe discount cards where the data is being collected, so on and so forth. And so there is this data aggregation that is occurring but increasingly, there is an awareness that your privacy could be at stake. And so there are uh, measures that can be taken, such as browser settings and, um, and, and other settings, you know, on your, on your smartphone that you can use to guard against um, maybe an overreach on your data use. So it's yes, I think the answer is yes and no. 
Good, Mari. And I think, you know, uh, I, I think that's a great response. Uh, and we'll come to cybersecurity in a moment, which I think is a whole different thing, right? We've got a, two sides of the coin here. One is privacy and, you know, uh, uh, how, how I share my information and who's using my information. And, and the other cybersecurity, I think, is, is much more involved with national economies and, 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 and defense. But, but um, with, the, with, the, with the privacy question, um, so here's I, 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 I've got lots of friends and certainly I've had my identity stolen, right? Where it's, you know, a, a business I go to a restaurant or something and somebody has taken my, my credit card or, or taken, stolen the number and they pretend they were me for like half a day. And we know, we know like every, there's one or two se- steps of separation from somebody you know who's gotten their identity stolen. So we know the effects of that. What are the effects of somebody getting a hold of my uh, health information, of my privacy information. That's not something we hear very often, right, in terms of, you know, over the fence talking to neighbors saying, oh, I got my health care information stolen. What are, the, what are the consequences of that? Sure. So let me answer that question in two parts. Um, in terms of having our information stolen, let me save that part for privacy. But in terms of, um, I'm sorry, for cybersecurity, in terms of privacy, I would say this. There are really two different um, regulatory schematics in this country. And as many of your listeners will know, healthcare is, is, if not the most regulated sector in America, it is the most regulated sector in America. And so there's a lot of regulations and requirements and laws that go into protecting healthcare information. So anyone who is a healthcare provider, think like hospital doctor or a clearinghouse that processes claims or a health insurer, those folks are the ones that must comply with HIPAA. And I think pretty much by now, every American's probably heard of HIPAA. Though it may be widely misunderstood, people have come to rely on it and expect that their healthcare information is safeguarded under HIPAA. Where the lines are becoming more blurry and it's hard for the average American to understand where their information may or may not go is when you start having other non-traditional actors who are handling healthcare information enter And they've entered this space. So technology giants, for example, they are not covered entities under HIPAA, meaning in plain English, they don't have to comply with HIPAA. And so consumers actually routinely give away their information by, uh, for example, maybe using a wearable and um, signing off on the privacy terms and conditions that go along with the app that goes with the wearable. And so those are things that we have to do a better job of educating consumers about where their information is going, because most privacy notices are not done in, you know, what I would say, like plain English or, you know, a a low literacy level. They're very complicated. You know, you have to scroll through the eight pages of six point font just to figure out, you know, who's where they're selling your information or what they're doing with it. And so that's not really meaningful consent. You either choose to use the product or you choose not to use the product. So those are essentially your choices today. And so back to the regulatory schematic, those companies who fall outside of the healthcare setting or the traditional healthcare settings that are governed by HIPAA, they are they must comply with different policies. And the bar for protecting information is much, much lower. So it's more, it's the Federal Trade Commission that gets involved, and it's more of like what I would call a cleanup job. They can swoop in if a company has violated their privacy terms and conditions. So it's very, very different from the world that is healthcare that where the average patient expects that their information will, in fact, be safeguarded. And healthcare providers and other companies take seriously their responsibility to do this. 
And so this is so, a brave new world we're in where this, these two worlds are colliding. I think that's a, that's a, actually, you've made a distinction that I was not aware of. So um, what I'm hearing is like HIPAA is actually like uh, me shutting down the house and locking my doors and locking my windows. Uh, and the law kind of requires that of, of hospitals and covered entities. And and you're saying that when it goes outside of covered entities, then suddenly we're in the world of police coming uh, to your to your house after it's been robbed, or or uh, or the firemen coming after it's on fire, right? Like we've got the the legislative structure to react to it um, when something goes wrong, but we don't have the preventative stuff that HIPAA has. Is that what you're saying? That's exactly right. I mean, those are simple analogies. And, and the reason this is becoming even more important is that in the 21st Century Cures Act, which um, was a landmark piece of legislation that was passed in 2016, many of the rules that are going to operationalize the, these uh, policies and law are coming due right now. And one of them actually requires that, and this is in the statute, that healthcare providers offer access to patients' records via what we call an API. Sounds super technical. Application programming interface. It's just the way that, you know, say smartphones interact with apps so they can present data in a useful format. So now um, providers are going to have to be able to uh, facilitate access to consumers' information through a third-party app at the request of the patient. So you've got patient-turned-consumer. They say, hello, hospital, please send me my medical records to ABC app, in which case the provider then has to facilitate that access to their medical records, and then they send it over, and it's presented in a, you know, more in a useful format. But in doing so, the consumers have to be responsible to understand that um, how their data will be used by this party that is no longer, that is not governed by HIPAA. You're leaving the safe space of HIPAA the moment you ask for your information to be released by um, a, a HIPAA-covered entity, and, and you're sending it out to you know, ABC app or wh wherever it's going. Does that make and, sense, Matt? I think so. Yeah. And so, what I'm hearing from you too is you're kind of you're you're kind of neutral on this. Uh, uh, you're you're you as you know, Mari or as Chime saying it's a good thing that now um, um, doctors can and with permission from the patient, of course, can share information in a much more um, uh, easily accessible way and can give it to third-party app developers and much more easily so that it's much more user-friendly. And, and that may be a good thing, but what is less understood maybe and, and we need to become more aware of is it's much different from uh, telling my GPS system that I'm, I'm where that to give, give away my location. What you're doing is you're giving uh, clinical information to a non-HIPAA-covered entity. So, so we're so so there's there's a there's a there's a caution there, right? Uh, that's what I'm hearing from your voice. Is suddenly we're in a new world uh, with these APIs, and and clicking the done button means your clinical information is going to somebody who's not a covered entity and is not under not under those protections. Is that right? That's exactly right. And the position of Chime has been, I mean, ideally we would have liked to have seen more transparency um, when the when the patient presents and they have to and they're saying click and release my information that the app would be required to indicate whether or not they're selling the consumer's information or use it for marketing purposes, something in very plain English, high level. Unfortunately, that um, what we wanted to see that happen, that didn't that is not the pathway that was chosen by the administration. So instead, it's really falling to be you know on the responsibility of the of the providers and the consumers to understand you know at least I mean again it's hard for providers to have to educate patients on everything but to at least let them know that this is you know you're leaving HIPAA and then again for consumers to do their due diligence and to read. 
some of these terms and conditions, which, you know, a lot of times we just don't, you know, that's, that's get back to my earlier point about balancing there's trade-offs, right? Um, you know, when you and I were talking behind the scenes, I mentioned that my son has um, a wearable because he's a flight risk. He has some special needs. And so I had to balance the desire to make sure that I know where he is um, with also sharing our GPS location tracking data. And um, GPS loca location tracking data is actually very powerful. And when you combine that with other healthcare information, it really offers a very robust picture of a consumer slash patient. Good, good. So um, well, this has been great, Mari. And actually, I've learned a lot in, in the first 10 minutes here. Uh, we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, I'd like to dive into cybersecurity with Mari Savickas, Vice President of Public Policy at Chime. For now, let's take a quick break and hear more about Weedy from our producer, Michael McNutt. The preeminent National Membership Association for Health IT Guidance and Collaboration Weedy has earned the title of being an instrumental force in engaging public and private partnerships, facilitating discussions, and providing a collaborative voice as a national healthcare advisor to provide meaningful changes for the American healthcare system. Become a member and provide national leadership that enhances the exchange of clinical and administrative healthcare information. Join one of our various work groups where Weedy members collect input, exchange ideas, and make recommendations that inspire impactful and far-reaching change in our industry. Learn more about how you can make a difference at Weedy.org. We're back, and we're talking with Mari Savickas, Vice President of Public Policy at Chime, on another episode of The Collective Voice of Health IT. That's a weedy podcast. So, uh, Mari, uh, let's move move to cybersecurity. And when we were talking before the broadcast, you gave me some cybersecurity stories and statistics that were, uh, in the least, they're they're frightening. Um, so maybe you can share some of those with the listeners. And uh, a little warning here to our audience. Um, don't listen to any further to this podcast if you're listening uh, just before you're trying to get to sleep because these stories will keep you up at night uh, worrying about the state of your company, worrying about the state of this country. Uh, so, Mari, um, how about some of those uh, statistics that you were talking about? Sure thing, Matt. I mean, this really is the, you know, the stuff that does keep um, our members up at night. So just a little bit of background. I think there's about 16 critical infrastructures in this country. Think like banking, right, uh, energy, retail, and then there's healthcare. So healthcare has been known to be notoriously behind the cybersecurity eight ball, but we are we're playing catch up. We hit reboot on our sector several years ago, and we are working collaboratively across the sector with um, a variety of stakeholders to improve our collective cyber posture, but it is difficult. Um, going back to something you said earlier, I wanted to revisit the cost of healthcare information on the black market is a lot more lucrative than regular, say, credit card information. And so our, our members, providers across this country and other um, healthcare entities are very, very high target for criminal syndicates and um, nation states intent on stealing our information. And there are a barrage of attacks every single day, millions, probably, I don't even know how many, but there's so many. Um, the average provider can get, you know, uh, tens of thousands a day. And so we're really under siege on any given moment. And I'm sure that some of your listeners have heard some of the headlines in the news about 
um, some other nations trying to steal our intellectual property around vaccines, which right now during the COVID pandemic is incredibly um, sensitive information. And we need to maintain our um, our competitive edge and our intellectual property. These are things that um, in our sector are very, very worrisome. So yeah, data breaches and attacks are, are real. And when, um, when a provider does get attacked, unfortunately, the fear of, um, of, or to say reputational harm fines from the Office for Civil Rights, which governs the HIPAA and uh, security privacy um, landscape is, is uh, very threatening to them. And so a lot of times you may not even know that, say, the hospital across the street got attacked and was asked to, like, say, pay ransomware. So we're working collectively together on this issue, and it really is a very bad one. So we could rattle through, Matt, if you want to talk about some of these data points that, you know, we've both seen. I'm, I'm happy to run through a few of those. Yes. Yeah. Just give us a few of us. Just give us a taste. Well, the one that jumped out at me the most um, was back in January, or, or actually, I'm sorry, it was earlier this year, and it was a statistic that said that there was a 30,000% increase in phishing, malicious websites, and malware targeting remote users all related to COVID. I mean, this is just devastating. This so that's insane. interesting because we're already, we're already in a vulnerable, vulnerable spot, right? Our economy is vulnerable, our, our health system is vulnerable, and we're getting attacked uh, literally attacked by by other international players while we're on, while we're down, right? That's exactly right. So we were already starting in a position of weakness. I mean, again, we've done a lot to improve the posture of our sector, but we still have a lot of work to do. And um, this is this is adding to our troubles. I, I would say that had this occurred, say you know, two or three years ago during the Petcha Wanna Cry. Um, situation that occurred uh, with around cybersecurity and healthcare, that if that had coincided with the pandemic, we would have been in a really, really bad situation. So the thing that keeps me up at night is the fact that criminals don't sleep. Even though there were some assertions made early on in the beginning of this year, when the, in the early days of the pandemic, that they were going to just, you know, kind of lay low and not, you know, um, not wreck things in terms of like throwing, you know, bombs into the healthcare sector. Right. That it's hard to really trust a cyber criminal. And so I think that that's fairly ludicrous. And so, you know, we're always on high alert. But, you know, right now our, the providers are very distracted trying to uh, make sure that there's patient safety is, a, is paramount. So, I mean, cybersecurity, I will say this, is a patient safety risk. You know, if a device, think a ventilator gets infiltrated, that can represent a threat to patient safety. So we still have to take this very seriously, but we're clearly in a compromised position right now. So we're even going beyond just um, um, clinical records or personal clinical records. We're talking about hospital infrastructures and and you know uh, communication systems and and computers that can be be attacked as well, right? Yes, and being the person who you know studies this and advocates on this for a living, I had to get an MRI the other day, and I, as I was in the machine, I started thinking about cybersecurity thoughts, and I had to quickly put those out of my mind and you know reassure myself everything was fine. And but those are those are you know there are vulnerable pieces of technology that um, that could be you know subjected to uh, cyber attacks. And if you look at the average hospital bed, there's about you know 10 devices that are connected to it. So there's tens of thousands of devices, and uh, you know, in a medium to large size hospital, and that means that there's several threat vectors that can be entered into the system. And so, 
it's not even necessarily even medical devices. You can get into it. You can warm your way into a healthcare system by something like, say, a smart refrigerator. Oh, yes, they exist. So, oh, or geez. an HVAC unit that has happened. So these yeah. are not these are not moving on the theoretical to the actual. So, uh, Mari, you you touched on something. You said that if this had happened a couple of years ago, um, or or if the pandemic had happened a couple of years ago with a, with a particular cyber attack, then we would have been in real trouble. What is the state of our protection right now, um, and are we in a better place than we were a couple of years ago? And and what still needs to be done, maybe? We are. So again, we we re, hit reboot on our sector and. Um, there's now the Joint Cybersecurity Working Group. That's an, uh, that's a real thing. The joint meaning public and private effort. So on the public side, those would be agencies like the Food and Drug Administration, for example. And then on the private side would be, again, the stakeholders like ourselves and, and others who um, across the healthcare sector who work collaboratively um, on fortifying our sector. And one of our members, in fact, has been one of the co-leads on the, on the industry side uh, in charge of a set of a suite of best practices that um, will help, you know, providers both small and, and medium to larger size fend off cyber attacks. It's not mandatory. It's just a, a best practices essentially that they can use. And we've been driving that forward now for the past three years. And it's really nice to see the, that level of improvement. The other thing is we've seen greater uptick on the NIST cybersecurity framework, which again is also a um, it's, it's not mandatory, though, when you look at your requirements under HIPAA, these are things that can help you meet uh, the HIPAA um, privacy, I'm sorry, the security requirements. So that's also the uptake on that has been fairly wide. And we also have, um, we have some new leaders on the scene who are helping move the industry forward. So the healthsectorcouncil.org, I would encourage anyone who, um, who's in the healthcare sector who wants to get involved, you can join for free healthsectorcouncil.org. We are active participants and anyone who can, you know, can join and it, there's no cost. Uh, Greg Garcia is the, is the director of that. And um, I can give my information at the end of the podcast, happy to connect people who are, who are interested in joining. And then also um, HHS, HHS has a cybersecurity command center, which I don't think is really well known about. It's, it goes by the acronym HC3, the Healthcare Cybersecurity Coordination Center. And essentially it acts as like a nucleus inside of HHS around cybersecurity. And I would call it a national asset. It's a place where providers and others can go if they experience a cyber incident and it's a safe space. So they're not gonna get reported to OCR. They're simply there to share um, resources regarding um, you know, emerging threats, as well as serve as a resource and waypoint for providers and, and others who may be experiencing some sort of cyber incident. And so the head of uh, HC3 is Greg Singleton. So again, happy to always connect your listeners to these, um, these resources and they are free, off the board free, which is great. So it's a, it's a good way to get involved, and there's no um, there's no requirement if you join the sector. You you can listen and learn and see what's happening, and then get involved and participate. Very good, very good. Um, so so to to sum up, and we've kind of covered um, we've covered a number of topics, but we talked about privacy, which is kind of our individual concern, and you know hitting that uh, accept button when you're thinking about sending clinical data someplace. We're talking about hospitals. We're talking about HHS and and what they're doing. Um, 
it sounds as if it sounds as if this is everybody's responsibility. Do I have that right? Um, is it is it Congress's responsibility? Is it is it uh, the healthcare industry's responsibility? Do we each have a part? How does how does that roll? We absolutely believe and this is China's position that cybersecurity is a joint responsibility. So it's no um, no one individual or entity within the healthcare sector. We collectively all have to work together. So, for example, uh, we don't believe it's only the responsibility of the medical device manufacturers, although they do have a large responsibility and we still, you know, continue to have challenges. They are working towards improving um, their posture as well and the devices that, they, that our members purchase from them. Uh, we have our own responsibility and we have to meet HIPAA. Medical device manufacturers are not governed by HIPAA, but we are. And so we have to continue to strive to ensure that patient safety is um, is not compromised with cyber attacks and that their information is safeguarded and protected. So absolutely, it's a shared responsibility. Very good. Very good. And I tell you what, let's, uh, let's uh, rewind a little bit and maybe you can uh, list once again uh, some of the resources you talked uh, talked about. HC3, that one's kind of easy to remember because it really sounds like a secret government organization that's fighting cybersecurity. <laughs> it sounds like something out of a movie, HC3. So that one, that one sticks. Uh, talk about some of the other resources for our listeners and, and then we'll close out. Sure. So the website for HC3, let me give you that because I don't think I did. That is hhs.gov backslash HC3. So that one, again, free government resource within the United States um, U.S. Department of Health and Human Services. And then there's the Health Sector Council, healthsectorcouncil.org. And there should be uh, a form on there that you can fill out to get more information. But if your listeners are struggling and they need a little bit more help, um, Chan's public policy uh, inbox is always open, and it's policy at chimecentral.org. Very good. Very good. So, Mari, any uh, closing uh, thoughts, anything you want to leave our listeners with? Um, uh, we, we, we covered a lot of territory, and not, over, not all of it was very uh, optimistic. <laughs> well, I mean, again, I think the, the, the good news is, is that we've come a long way, right? And good, we're just good. delighted. Chan is very pleased to be invited to participate on this podcast and appreciates the leadership that, of Weedy to bring these important issues to the forefront for your listeners. So thank you very much for inviting me. Well, thank you, Mari. Uh, this has been a great discussion with Mari Savickas, Vice President of Public Policy at Chime. One of Weedy's primary functions, right, is to keep health plans and hospitals and other providers educated on health IT. And uh, certainly, Mari, you've provided content and been a part of that education for many years. And I look forward to having you join us again, Mari. This has been the collective Thank voice. You so much. Of All right. Thank you, Mari. This has been the collective voice of health IT, a Weedy podcast where the health information technology community connects, collaborates, and creates solutions for a better health system. Find this episode and many more on our website, weedy.org. Thank you all for joining us and be safe.